Glad to have you. Thank you for joining us in person and uh, live stream. Good to have everybody. If you're a first time visitor or fairly new to us and haven't gotten one of our welcome packages, please do that at the back there in the narthex. Uh, got some tumblers and things that will remind you about us. Uh, if you're on the inside aisles, also grab the Book of Friendship if you don't mind the kind of burgundy folder there. Gives us uh, an opportunity to see us with us this morning and also to get to know those in the row. Just pass it down and when it gets to the end, just bring it back forward this way. Um, you'll notice a number of different, and I won't go through every one. Everyone's important, but uh, you'll see uh, Joe's with us today. Thank you so much, Joe, for serving the Lord and us in such short notice. Uh, do keep Jeff and Abby in your prayers as they're kind of getting through the COVID. Abby, thank you so much for joining us and your family as well. Good to have you all, always. Uh, you'll notice a few things about the parking lot next, not this coming week, but I believe it's the week after, so just be aware of that. Our ESL trying to get started back up. Good to see some faces. Good to see you guys. Um, community Bible studies, men's and ladies in the fall. Uh, flowers in the sanctuary, if it's something you would like to be a part of and in honor and memory of. Also, you'll note we will not have any uh, youth meetings today, but next Sunday um, we're having a pool party. I think that's right, Nabebe. Over at Harbor Club, Karen Morrison will be kind of directing some of that as well. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Mr. Dick to, to come on up, if you don't mind, Dick, and tell Sheds of Hope fundraiser. Yes. to join us. And I understand that you had a donor that helped out. Is that correct? Yeah, I was at, a, at an Easter service. This lady walked up and said, I'd like to help you. And I said, well, that's great. And it turns out she worked for a company that built uh, power tools. And they wound up giving us several thousand dollars worth of, of, of tools, including numerous drills and impact drills and that type of thing. It's been very evident that God has been blessing us along the way with funds, with volunteers, uh, and working through uh, local businesses. Dick, what's the cost of Shed of Hope? Shed of Hope right now is running about uh, $1,200 for materials. All the labor, of course, is, is volunteered and free. And so if somebody wants to donate, how do they go about doing that? For donations, you can contact Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church, 706-484-0600. And if you're uh, wanting to make a check out, make it payable to Lake County Presbyterian Church and put Sheds of Hope in the memo line. The storm struck two days ago. <clears throat> Thankfully, the weather service warning came in time for the family to find shelter 
and no one was hurt. But the house is gone. Neighbors, <clears throat> neighbors open their homes, and we have relatives nearby, so we'll have somewhere to live until we can find a place to rent while we put our lives back together. We need to sh say what we can that the storm didn't ruin or destroy. Clothing, dinnerware, pots and pans, appliances, tools, family pictures, books. There's so much of our life just lying there in the wreckage of our house. But all the many storage places are full, and there's no safe storage available. Stories like this are heard often after a hurricane or tornado strikes, and that's why we build Sheds of Hope <clears throat> and give them to our brothers and sisters in need. I'm Dick Forrester, and I'm blessed to be, have been part of the Sheds of Hope at, at uh, LOPC since we began. I'm here to talk with you about two things today. First, to celebrate an achievement of the LOPC Sheds of Hope ministry, uh, and then to ask for your help. As far as the achievement, at the completion of our last shed bill, June 10th, the LOPC Sheds of Hope Ministry had, had, had built more than 100 sheds. Um, that's important, not because we're in a race. We are the only PCA uh, church that's done that so far, that's reached that milestone. But we're not in a race. What makes it important is that God is, when those sheds are set up, God has enabled us to help demonstrate the love of Christ to more than 100 families by helping them get their lives back together. If you've worked on the Shed of Hope, uh, if you have volunteered by making lunches or that, that type of thing, or if you've contributed to Sheds of Hope, I'd like you to stand for just a moment, please. Thank you. And these are, just the, these are just the folks that are here today. There are many more. Um, I'm here to help, now I'm here to help ask you for your help. From the beginning, God has, has blessed the Sheds of Hope ministry. He's provided volunteers, facilities, training, equipment, funding, everything we needed to build sheds and enjoy, the Christian, and enjoy Christian fellowship while we work. So I'm going to ask you to do three things. I'm going to ask you to first... Pray that God will continue to bless this ministry. <clears throat> Pray for the families who will, who will receive these sheds. If you're interested, if you think you might be interested in join, joining us, talk to one of the folks who just stood up. He'll, he'll talk, to, talk to you about Sheds of Hope anytime. We'd love to have you. And finally, we're going to we ask you to contribute. Beginning about a year ago, our building materials, which had hovered around eight to nine hundred dollars per shed, began to skyrocket. As of the time this video was made last fall, the uh, cost had gone to, like as the video said, about twelve hundred dollars per shed. In this last build in June, our cost per shed was between sixteen and seventeen hundred dollars. Most of our funding comes from MNA disaster response grants and the contributions of our our church members and community, and we appreciate those, and, and they've, they've been, they've served us well. But with the skyrocketing cost, unfortunately, our, our funding has fallen short. So that's why we ask and receive approval from the session to do a fundraiser. Our goal is $25,000, and we feel that, that, the, that, that amount of money will enable us to build the 12 sheds we have scheduled to remain in uh, in 2021 and give us a, a foundation to start building sheds in, in 2022. 
when the, when the session voted to approve the fundraiser, they also voted to contribute $5,000 worth of seed money to the, to the fundraiser, and we deeply appreciate that. So my, my question is, would you please consider making a contribution to the Sheds of Hope? If you're already a contributor, will you consider increasing your contribution? You can contribute using the collection plates in the morning worship, and we're going to be doing this fundraiser through July and also uh, through August. So you can use the collection plate or you can send your contribution directly to the church office. If you make it, if you use a check, please make the check payable to Laker County Presbyterian Church with Sheds of Hope in the, in the memo line. Again, if you have questions, ask one of the folks that just stood up or you're welcome to, you're welcome to ask me or just check with the church office. God has continued to bless the Shed of Hope ministry and provided just what we need at just the right time. We trust he'll continue to bless the ministry, the Shed of Hope ministry here at LOPC. Thank you.
Now's it. Now's it. Um, I'm going to invite your attention to our call to worship this morning from Psalm 100. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Would you pray with me? Father, we come today to give you glory and to praise, to lift up the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, and worshiping you in spirit and in truth. And so, Father, we ask now that the Holy Spirit would give us great unction as we come before you to sing your praises, to lift up the name of Jesus, to whom we pray and give thanks. Amen. Would you stand together and let's sing joyfully and loudly with thanksgiving. Hymn number 358 for all the saints.
seated. I'll invite you to our time of confession and the confession of faith and this morning we'll be reading together, I think it's printed in your bulletin, the Heidelberg Catechism, question one and question two. And I'll read the, the light print and together we will read the bold print. I want to ask you to pay special attention to the words that we're reading because uh, it's about meaning of life. Why are we here? What's our existence? What's our purpose here? The catechism answers that for us. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. What must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Would you stand together and let's sing hymn number 460, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Safe thus far, and grace will. 
Before we enter into a uh, time of prayer, I want to just let you know that uh, I am here because uh, your pastor, Jeff Birch, has COVID, and his wife has COVID, we think, and I texted him this morning, and he said, I'm feeling pretty rough. So I told him, I said, well, we will definitely keep you in our prayers, because that's uh, very very rough stuff to get over, and so I want you to, to know. But for those of you who may not even know me, uh, I am Joe King, and I was privileged to serve this church many years ago as the senior pastor for 12 years. And I got a telephone call the other day from uh, your pastor, and he said, I'm sick, can you preach Sunday? <laughs> I said, I'm glad to do it. I'll do the best that I can. So... I want to ask you to join me as we recite the Lord's Prayer together, and then let's go to a time of prayer. Would you pray with me together? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And our Father, we thank you for ordaining prayer that we're able to commune with you and come before your throne. And you've told us to ask and to seek and to knock, and you've promised to hear us when we call. And so, Lord, we uh, bring before you today Pastor Jeff and his wife, Evie, and Lord, ask you to give healing and give it quickly to them. Thank you for calling him here to this church. We ask, Father, that you would give them comfort and peace during this difficult time. We pray, Father, for others that we know who have been affected by this horrible disease. And we ask for comfort and peace and healing for them as well. Especially, Lord, as it spreads and we're seeing a new virus coming forth, a variant of this virus. 
Lord, we ask that uh, you would, uh, would stop this. We pray, Father, for the members of this congregation and thank you for them, for their faithfulness. We ask, Lord, that you would give comfort and peace, especially those that are facing some serious illnesses, maybe surgeries, those who are going through difficult times with their, their children or their grandchildren, those, Father, who need leading in regard to employment, those that are just trying to discern your will for their lives, those that, Lord, are looking at the stock market and uh, being thankful for how you've blessed, but yet wondering what the future might hold. Lord, we come to you because you are our source. You are our strength. It's not in man and not in anything that man provides, but it's totally in you. We pray, Father, too, for the ministries of this church and thank you for the sheds of hope and for those that come faithfully to build those sheds and give donations, to give hope and shelter for those that so need it during difficult times in their lives, such as with tornadoes or hurricanes. Lord, would you continue to bless that and prosper that. We pray, too, Father, for the church officers here, the elders, the deacons, for the church staff that labors uh, day in and day out. Uh, Lord, would you bless them? Would you comfort them? Would you meet their needs as well? We pray for their families as well. We pray, Father, too, just for the outreach of this church, that you would use it in a way that would be a light, a beacon, in a place that needs the gospel so desperately. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayer. Thank you, Father, for meeting us here this morning. For you desire for worshipers to worship you in spirit and in truth. And you enjoy hearing the prayers of your children as we come to you, cry out and saying, Abba, Father. Now, Lord, would you bless the rest of this time of worship Bless the offerings that we bring to you. Thank you, Father, for blessing us as you have. Use these gifts to further your kingdom, not only here at Lake Oconee, but throughout this state, throughout this nation, and literally around the world. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen.
stand together. Please be seated. I think Amy Reber is missed, but she may be out of a job real soon. <laughs> that was great. Thank you. Thank you. I want to invite your attention to a text of scripture from John chapter 2. John chapter 2. This is the first miracle that Jesus ever performed. And it occurred at what was called the wedding of Canaan. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to that passage of scripture. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. So it may read a little differently than the one that's in your your Bible, but... Uh, remind you that this is this is God's word we don't think it becomes the word of God or it contains the word of God it is the word of God he has inspired it and whenever God's word is read or taught God is speaking to his people so listen carefully listen with your heart and ask God to speak to you and open your mind to understand the truths that we're going to talk about this morning. On the third day, there was a wedding at Canaan in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though his servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs that Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask now that 
the Holy Spirit would give us understanding, that you would teach us from your word as we come to hear your word. Father, thank you for inspiring it. Thank you for having it written down for us that we can study it and memorize it. But we can apply it to our hearts. And we can be people that are more like Jesus. Thank you for the grace to do that. You get the glory. You get all the praise. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, weddings are times of joy and celebration. It's a joy to see a beautiful bride come walking down the aisle, adorned for her groom. As they face each other and recite vows to love and honor, as glorious and joyful as the celebrations can be, they don't always turn out the way we hope. For instance, Tom Rainer tells the story of this uncle of the bride who sent a request since he was not able to attend the wedding himself, sent a request asking the best man to read 1 John 4.18 in his absence at the wedding. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love for perfect love drives out fear. Well, unfortunately, the best man made a mistake and did not quote 1 John 4.18. He quoted John 4.18, and it says this, For you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. (laughs) We're going to be looking at three things this morning. We're going to look, first of all, at what I'm calling the participation at the wedding. Who's there? Why? And secondly, we're going to observe the power at the wedding. And thirdly, we're going to look at what I call the praise that's due at the wedding. Now, weddings in the Jesus' day were times of celebration. They were joyful. They involved the entire community. If you'll notice with me in the text this morning, it says, first of all, on the third day, there was a wedding. Now, the third day, you have to go back to chapter 1, and you'll see in verses 40 and in verses 43 that Jesus is calling the disciples to him, and it had been three days since he called the disciples. He didn't call all 12 disciples at this point. There are only five that are listed. And and having, having said that, Jesus is, of course, uh, there with them. And, and you'll notice that those five disciples are there. You'll notice that there is a bride and groom that are present. There were servants that were present, verse 5. Verse 9, there is a head waiter there. And in verse 1, it tells us that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. Now, John does something interesting in the text that's written in the original Greek language because when he refers to Mary being there in verse 1, he uses a tense that's an imperfect tense. In other words, she was there and she kept on being there. Probably she was involved in the preparation and serving at this wedding. But when he refers to Jesus being there, he uses a different tense and he says Jesus was there, aorist tense, 
and he just showed up. Now, I think it's interesting why Jesus is at this wedding. Remember, he was from Nazareth, which was nine miles down the road. The wedding was in Canaan. Maybe it was a family member that was getting married. We don't know. But we know that he chose to be there with his disciples, and it tells us a couple of things. Number one, it tells us his approval of marriage. Had he not approved of marriage, he would have never endorsed it and showed up. And secondly, it's important to realize that Jesus was there. You know, we often overlook those seemingly insignificant details in our lives. And yet, those are some of the things that God uses to turn our attention toward Him. The providence of God is God's holy, powerful, wise, preserving, and governing of all His creatures and their actions. Of all His creatures and their actions. So he's governing all these things, and it's no accident that Jesus is there, his five disciples are there, and Mary is there. Don't overlook the small details that come in our lives. I know that you've heard the story about the great ship, the Titanic, which sank April 15th, 1912. And you know that it was built to not sink. Everybody said, this ship will never sink. Well, you know what happened. So on that fourth day of the voyage, the maiden voyage, that it sank, they found the ship in August of 2005, and it had broken in three pieces, and contrary to the movie, they think it sank in maybe five minutes. Horrible horrible. But what you may not know is the second officer that was assigned to that ship was a man by the name of David Blair. And right before the ship set sail, the first commander replaced David Blair with another second officer. And David never got on the ship. That evening as David was going to bed and he reached into his pocket he discovered something after the ship had sailed that there was a key in his pocket. And he pulled it out. And it was the key to the cabin in the crow's nest, which is the lookout point that held the binoculars for the ship. And a man by the name of Fred Klatt was had the duty of looking over the ship and later said, had we had the key to the binoculars, we might have avoided the iceberg. Simple little thing. It's not insignificant that these people were at this wedding. Now, let me show you something in your life. When the phone rings, do you see it in the providence of God? When the doctor says, you need help, there's a test. Do you see it in the providence of God? 
when your daughter or son calls and they're in tears because of their child and your grandchild and your heart is breaking, do you immediately go before the Father and say, God, I need your grace, your providence in my life. We have to move on very quickly here. I want you to see, secondly, the power that's displayed in verses 3 through verses 10. Now, weddings in those days were very festive occasions, times of great joy. And here's how it would transpire. The groom would fall in love with the bride. He would make a trip to the bride's home to meet the father, and they would settle on a dowry price. That was a binding legal agreement that they would come to. After he would leave, it would be about a year before they could get married. At that time, he would go back to his father's house where he was probably living. He would add on an addition to the home. And he would have a job. That's a good thing, isn't it, if you're going to get married? Have a place to put your bride and a way to support her. And then came the time for the wedding, which they called the huppa. And he would go with his, his groomsmen, and they would go to the bride's home, and she would come out, and she would be dressed in white, and she would have a veil over her face, and she would have all these jewels on her. And her bridesmaids would walk beside her, and they would line the streets with their lamps so she could see how to walk, to go back to the groom's home for where they were going to get married. And they would become husband and wife. But after that time, they didn't take a honeymoon and go away. The honeymoon came to them. For if you were, you were wealthy, the reception lasted seven days. If you were poor, it lasted three days. And it was a festive time. And it was the responsibility of the groom and his family to make sure all the provisions were there. And that was a legal binding contract in that day. So here we pick up the text in verses 2, that Jesus was invited to the wedding with the disciples, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, we don't have any more wine. Now, I don't need to go into the exposition here to tell you, but this was not grape juice. This was the real stuff. And what you see here is that Mary... The mother of Jesus goes to Jesus and she says, they have no wine. What are we going to do? This is embarrassing. The party's not over. You may be wondering, why does she go to Jesus? Remember, she's the one that carried him for nine months in her womb. She's the one that listened to Gabriel said, you should marry Joseph because what's within you is going to be the son of God. She's the one that knew that. She's the one that picked him up when they lost him at the synagogue for a couple of days and he was about teaching and confounding the scholars of his day in the synagogue. She knew who he was. And so notice, Jesus said to her, Woman, he didn't say mother, he says woman, what does this have to do with me, my hour, has not yet come. 
Now, in our culture, if I was to say that to my mother and say, woman, what do I have to do with you? It would not be a good scene. She'd tell me to go out and wait outside till my dad came home, and I knew I was in big trouble. But Jesus is not doing that. In that culture, this was very proper. And he is distancing himself from his mother as a son, starting to convey to her the idea that I am the son of God and I have to be about my ministry. That's why these five disciples are here. This is the first miracle that's going to take place. And so, Jesus is not being rude. No, he's distancing himself from his mother. But notice in verse 4 that Jesus told his mother, my hour has not yet come. What's that mean? My hour has not yet come. If you study the book of John, one of the things you'll see over and over and over, in fact, in chapter 7, verse 30, in chapter 8, verse 20, in chapter 12, verse 23, in chapter 13, in chapter 17, he uses that phrase over and over and over again. And here's what he's talking about. It's not time for me to go to the cross. It's not time for my crucifixion. My hour it's not yet come. Well, why is he saying this at a wedding at a joyful thing? Because he understands once he launches his ministry, there are those who are going to love him and there are those that are going to hate him. Matter of fact, if you look at Luke chapter 4, you'll see that there were those people in his hometown that he went and preached in the synagogue that wanted to throw him off the cliff. And he said, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. So his mother said to the servants, do what he tells you. Do what he tells you. And in verse verse 6, we read that there were six stone water pots for purification. Now, each of those stone water pots would hold some 20 to 30 gallons. So we're talking roughly about 150 gallons of water. You need to understand that these were purification. They would sit outside on the front steps of the home. And a Jew would come to visit and he would have, there would be a ladle in the the, uh, water. And he would take the ladle and he would pour the water from the tips of his fingers down to his wrist. Then he would turn his hand over and he would pour more water from his wrist all the way down to the tips of his fingers. To cleanse himself before he entered the house. So they have all these stone water pots that are there that are for the purification process. And they've got water in them. Oh. By the way, in 2016, archaeologists discovered a cave near Canaan where such pots and pottery were found. And some believe that they may be the place where they were made. Isn't that interesting? And so they have these water pots that are, have water within them. And notice what verse 7 says. And Jesus told the servants, fill the water pots with water up to the brim. In other words, there's going to be no mistake here. Nothing can be added to this water. Let me remind you, people are washing their hands in this water. It's not real clean. And in verse 8, he told the servants... Draw out some of the water, take it to the master. 
and you know the story. It was the best wine they had had since the party began. I think that's interesting. First of all, there's a couple of things that I want to, to mention in terms of what this must have been like for them. It must have been embarrassing for the groom and his family to run out of wine. I said earlier that could precipitate a lawsuit from the bride's family. Jesus met the need. But I don't think that's really the high point of what this text is really about. Can you imagine what the servants who were in charge of the wine must have thought as Jesus said to them, go fill the water pots full of water. If I had been a servant, I would have probably said, Jesus, you don't understand. We don't need more water. We need wine. Wine is what we need. And can you imagine what they must have thought when he said to them, once you fill the water pots up to the brim, then I want you to take a little bit out and I want you to take it to, the bo- to your boss. And they're thinking, take water to my boss, I'm going to get fired. That's not what this is about. And yet, as they took the water, it became wine. Now here's the question that I can't answer because John doesn't tell us. When did the water become wine? He didn't tell us. He just said it became wine. And it's interesting that it's the best wine that they had ever had. You know, there are times in the Bible when God asks his servants to do things that seemingly are just difficult, can't understand why he asked to do those things. I think of Abraham, for instance. God came to him and said, I want you to leave your family and I'm going to send you out to a place you don't even know where it is. He packed up and left. A covenant was made through him. I think of Moses. God said to him, I want you to lead my people. He said, no, God, I stutter. I can't do that. God said, I'll be with your mouth and I'm going to use your brother Aaron. I'm going to make covenant with you, Mosaic covenant. I'm going to free your people from the bondage. It's going to be a symbol of what's going to happen with the freedom that we're going to have in Christ years down the road, freedom from our sin. I think of David. I think of Joseph and Joseph's betrayal from his brothers and throwing him into a cistern and throwing him into prison for all those years. And, you know, had I been there, I might have said, no, you can't throw him into the cistern. That, that's, he's an innocent man. <laughs> God had a bigger plan. And here when we read this text, God had a bigger plan. And sometimes God has to take us to that place where we have nowhere to turn but to come to him. He's got a bigger plan. And so we see here 
that the servants did as Jesus said. And there was great praise at this wedding. Great praise. Changing the water and the wine, verse 11. Notice, this is the first of his signs that Jesus did in Canaan and Galilee. He did other things there. And manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. You know, think of those five men that followed him three days ago. They had no idea what the next three years were going to be like. No clue. They just signed up in faith. And that day, I can imagine they walked away from their weddings and saying, who is this man? This is not average Joe here. This is somebody way beyond us. You know, there's times when God takes us to a point and it seems like he asks us to step out in faith. I'm going to give you one short illustration today because some of you will remember it. It's to the glory and praise of the Lord. The year was 2001. I was blessed to be the senior pastor of this church, this building did not exist. It was just all woods. Had a building committee together. They met for a year. We talked with our building consultant about the finances of the church, the economy. He came to us and he said, it's not time to build. You're not ready. The economy's not ready. And I thought, oh, that's not what I want to hear. I want to go ahead and get this started. We had things to do with people to reach. He said, it's not the time. Our elders sat down. We prayed about it. We agreed with him. He said, nope, we're going to wait six months. Six months passed. We'd set the date for September the 16th, 2001, to start a building campaign. You remember where you were on that Tuesday morning watching the television and those planes fly into those trade centers? And you remember what happened? People, the country was in turmoil. People were angry. The stock market went down. And I thought, God, this Sunday we're supposed to introduce a building campaign to this church? And when it hit that afternoon, Al Anderson called me. And he said, I think we need to have a prayer time. At this time, we were meeting over in the building next door in the strip mall. We had 40 or 50 people that show up that night for prayer time. It was a precious, precious time. The Holy Spirit was just present. That next day, the elders came to my office. We had to make a decision. And uh, one of the elders said to me, he said, well... Are we going to step out on faith or are we not? I thought. He said, you know, you've been teaching about this now for several months. I thought, I'm so glad you've been listening. He said, what did that guy, John Haggai, tell you? I said, well, John Haggai said, attempt something so great for God that unless God is in it, it's doomed to fail. Attempt something so great for God that unless God is in it, it's doomed to fail. God's got to be in it or it's not going to succeed. 
And he looked at me straight in the eye, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, do you really believe that? I said, I do. Let's go. And we introduced the building campaign in the worst time that you could introduce it. You know what? God was faithful. God was faithful. Sometimes God says to you, fill the water pot up and trust me. Trust me. Because I'm going to make a way. And I'm going to get the glory. Not you. Had a man come to my office right after that. I won't mention his name. But he said, Joe, I've been listening to what you've been talking about. He said, I've been ready to make a pledge for the building campaign. He said, I'm going to tell you, he said, I lost a million dollars last week. I thought, you lost a million dollars? You lost a million dollars? He said, yeah, I lost a million dollars. But he said, I'm on board. I'm on board. Let's get it done. Four years later, we stood in this congregation. We burned the mortgage. Praise be to God. That's a God thing, folks. Do you see that even in your life in just a small personal way that God is opening and closing and directing the things in his providence after the counsel of his will. Some of us were kind of like those water pots that are just dirty and filthy and half full, and we're saying, God, I need a fresh anointing. I need to be filled. I need you to do something. He will. He will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the praise and for how you've blessed, for all that you've done, for your glory and for your praise. And Lord, we thank you that you providentially care for your church. Even in the very small things, as well as the big things. You've got a great future for this church. We pray again, Father, for Pastor Jeff. Give him strength, give him healing. And this session and these deacons, Lord, give them the vision for the harvest. It's so great here. And we thank you that you've promised that you will provide. We ask it in Jesus' name we pray. Let me remind you that this is a time that we receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And if you did not receive one of those little cups this morning as you walked in that looked something like this, if you would just raise your hand, one of the ushers will be sure to give that to you. Would you put your hand up? You did not receive one. Anyone? Going once, going twice? I don't see any. Well, this is a meal that Jesus gave to his disciples. And I said in the sermon earlier, he said over and over throughout the book of John, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. The hour hadn't come. 
Well, you and I know that it did come. It came that time, and John records it for us, about the crucifixion, the betrayal, that Jesus went to the cross. His body was broken and bruised and crushed. And his blood was shed. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. What's in this cup are simply signs and seals to remind us of what's been done for us. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup and after cup supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I invite you to this table. This table is not the table of the Presbyterian Church. This is the Lord's table. And if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you're welcome to come. Because this table is for you. And this bread is for you. And this wine is for you. And it is to strengthen you in your Christian faith. But I also warn you today that if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, let these elements pass from you because the Bible says you eat and drink judgment to yourself. If you're holding something against your brother or your sister, the Bible says you need to go to them and confess that to them, then come to the table. But for those of us who come as sinners, needing grace, needing mercy, his grace and his mercy is portrayed for us through these elements that we're about to partake. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for giving us the sacrament, the Lord's Supper. As we take this bread, we're reminded of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is nailed to the cross, was bruised, broken for us and we thank you that in a small way but a very real way we can remember and we can receive grace and strength in Jesus name we pray amen I want to ask you to take this portion that has the the uh, bread and take it out and take it and let us eat it together Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the blood and the bread of Jesus Christ, the body. Thank you that you took our suffering, our pain. The hour did come, and you did make the sacrifice. In his name we pray. Amen. And likewise, on the other side is a little cup of grape juice represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ.
Jesus said to his disciples, take and drink ye all of it. And Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. Now, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Thank you, Father, for reminding us of what you've done for us and the cross and what is portrayed. And it's in his name we do pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand together and let's sing hymn number 679. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. for grace to trust him more. Let's have the benediction. 
Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his throne, to him be all power and glory and dominion forever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. We're dismissed. Thank you.